Welcome to the Hiring Chronicles. Whether you're watching or listening, we're thrilled you're here with Amy and myself. We're an independent podcast, no ties to smart recruiters or anyone else. So there's no corporate jargon, just real talk. And despite the rumours, we're not perfect. So please ignore our good looks and charm and take our advice at your own risk. And let's dive in. So welcome back. Welcome, Amy. In a different studio, but we do have our logo, so it, it's kind of cool. The logo looks I good. Like it. Um, and I do have this at home, so it's it's nice. Yeah, you have this panelling with nothing else on your wall. No, we have a TV. Just the TV and the panelling. Yeah, but it looks aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> I'm a bit of the opposite. I, I have too much and I had to rein it back recently and then... Yeah, I'm more more yeah. your vibe now. You are my own way vibe. But but new location, different studio, trialing different places, trialing different things. Where are we at? Where's this? Um, not really sure. But <laughs> Parsons <laughs> it's Green. It's near Wimbledon. Parsons right? Green. Oh, is that okay. right? Yeah, I think that's the train station. Nice place, and there looks to be a nice little coffee shop that was previously recording studio at the corner. Oh, if you didn't clock, I that. didn't see that. I was on a mission to just get here on time. Do you know what I'm on a mission to do today, Amy? What is that? To not cry. Yeah, yesterday was a bit emotional, wasn't it? We recorded two episodes yesterday and one of them we were very emotional at. <laughs> so we're going to try and make this... If, if, I don't know, I feel like the yesterday she might she might hit for some heartstrings. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see, we'll see. Today we are speaking to Naomi and we're going to find out who she is, what it's like being a mother returning to work, how she's ended up recruiting HR professionals, spent pretty much a career dedicated to all elements of talent. So a two-parter. I'm excited. So exciting. Welcome to the show, Naomi. Welcome. Thanks, guys. Lovely to be here. Much easier route for you to get here. Yes. I live in southwest London, about five miles away, I think. So it was quite easy for me, despite the late night last night. So You were, you were out. Were you out out last night? Or? I had dinner with some incredibly inspiring female CFOs. Oh, so a room full of brilliant, um, up and coming talent. Oh, amazing! What was that like? Um, it was well. It was a really inspiring and empowering evening. Actually, um, we talked about all sorts of things: the brilliance of being a woman at work, the. Um, uh, the challenges that we had randomly, I ended up in a group that also had where every single one of us was a group of six and all of us had two girls um, as children. Oh, wow. Um, so we also talked a bit about what we'd want for our children and um, things like that. But actually, um, what was incredibly inspiring is, you know, generally the feeling in the room that was womanhood didn't hold them back and actually diversity was the superpower. Um, so that was quite a it was just a really positive evening um, and I sat next to two brilliant people um, who and had a really fun night, actually. Oh, Are you allowed, be allowed to give a shout out to them? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's okay. Well, it sounds it's like, like a secret it was... society dinner. <laughs> oh. <laughs> where, where was the dinner? At Spring in Somerset House, which is just a lovely, lovely place and okay. the food was incredible. So... Maybe yeah, we'll have to track crazy. them down, Dave. Mm. We'll have to find out these uh, CFO power women afterwards, yeah. I think. Mm. 
But that's a perfect evening to come on to the podcast because it's a nice, lovely segue into the story that hopefully you'll share today. Absolutely. Yeah, and we were talking about it last night. It was actually quite a big co- topic of conversation because I was saying, well, that's interesting because this is a conversation that we're having tomorrow. Um, so I can't, I might be stealing from some of the brilliant women that I got to hang out with last night. So <laughs> sharing, sharing <laughs> kindly. So how, how did you end up getting to be a mother of two? I know how you end up being a mother of two, but, Let's not go down that road. <laughs> but talk us through your journey, Naomi, from school background. Have you had a, a very driven, motivated career where you've always known where you want to be or who are you? Who's, who's Naomi really? Um, so I guess to know me, you've got to step back pre-career. Um, I am the daughter of a teacher. Um, and actually, my mum was an aerospace engineer and one of the first women hired into British Aerospace on the graduate scheme. Wow. Um, as an engineer, not in a different capacity as most of the men she would tell me at the time, especially the, the, <laughs> the more senior ones, assumed she was there to make the tea or <laughs> you know, no. um, take minutes at the meetings and things like that. Um, and my my dad is a surgeon. He's an ophthalmologist, an eye surgeon. And he during they, they met at university. And during university, uh, my dad did an elective um, where you do, a, you do different stints in different hospitals. It's the way you train. He... Uh, met somebody who convinced him to do an elective in deepest, darkest Tanzania. So I actually, um, and he came back from deepest, darkest Tanzania after three months away from my mother, huge jungle grown beard, um, stepped off this aeroplane and proposed to my mum, but said, but here's the catch. I want to go and live in deepest, darkest Africa because actually... Is he Paddington Bear? <laughs> no marmalade sandwiches. <laughs> Um, but he, he just got off the plane, proposed, and was like, "No, I don't think this he proposed is the... quite so quickly." I make that sound more romantic than I suspect it was. But um, he had realised that sort of, and I don't know the exact statistics, so I'm paraphrasing. But he was one of you know, one ophthalmologist for millions of people, whereas in the UK he would be one for fifty thousand. Yeah. yeah. Um, so off they went into to my my mum at that point retrained as a teacher. And off they went to Tanzania. She'd had another ambition, which was to be a missionary. So um, my parents have really strong faith. Um, and that was part of their value driver, I suppose, as to why they wanted to go. Um, my mum had children in the middle of nowhere in um, Africa. And when I say the middle of nowhere, so we were in Tanzania, south of Dodoma, um, so, you know, certainly not and about an hour from the nearest city, she had to grow her own food. Um, there weren't any shops. Um, this was properly in the bush. Um, and that was my first four years. So I, I lived Do you in, remember that? I actually, for? I remember leaving. So, and I do remember, I have, I have moments of memory from that time. Um, Funnily enough, my memories are really about the village dogs, <laughs> which is there were a lot of stray dogs, and you, you know there weren't there wasn't any tarmac roads, um, and these you know when you were kids, these packs of dogs could be quite scary, frankly. <laughs> so yeah, I, I remember that as a as a sort of moment in time. But anyway, we moved to Nairobi um, in Kenya, and I lived there until I was 
16 and I came over to boarding school in the UK um, at sixth form um, because I um, insisted that that's what I wanted to do. My mum was a maths teacher at the other secondary school and it's not cool to have a head of maths, you know, a sports teacher, yes, but a head of maths, no. (laughs) So (laughs) I really didn't want to go to school at the same school as my mum. I wanted some independence and I basically harangued them until they sent me off to school in the UK because also the UK was where I went on holiday. Why were you so persistent to go or or come back to the UK? Independence, I think. Um, A new life, new invention. Um, uh, It also was, you know, England was where I came on holiday. So it's a bit like this idea of going on holiday camp. You know, it looked, all the pictures in the glossy brochure for the school looked like everybody was super happy and on holiday all the time. So I I think that was probably the main thing was, you know, I'd set it in mind that this was the right thing for me. And I I am, that's probably the earliest sign of real persistence for me and getting an idea in my head and being, that's, I'm going to go and do it. Um, And basically forcing people around me to agree to it. Were you, did you find any difficulties coming back into a society that you because you've been detached from that culture, right? You yeah. had your parents in Africa, you've learnt the African way, and then you've come back to, at 16, I'd imagine there was some hardship or were you fully accepted and embraced? What was um, that like? Actually, because I, I actually came in at 13 originally um, and then moved back over to the UK at 16. Ah, but, right, okay. Um, I didn't. I actually probably had more of an issue with that in Kenya, um, moving from Tanzania, because actually there was this whole um, ex-colonial heritage that we weren't part of. And, you know, so there was this real sort of feeling of we were part of a demographic that come and go. People didn't necessarily invest in you. There was a very strong community of people who are very tight-knit and we weren't part of that. Um, It could be quite segregated in community at times. It wasn't actually in my childhood um, and at school. um, And, you know, school itself, I our classrooms were, it was private school, so it was fairly privileged. Um, so um, certainly against the local community, but it was very diverse. My best friends I grew up with, um, you know, we'd go out when you went round to your friend's house to play after school. Um, you know, one house I'd have to go and play by myself because my friend was doing her prayers, um, her Hindu prayers. Um, another house I'd have to go and play for myself for an hour while my friend did her Quran lessons, um, you know, in a variety and all sorts of different things. I'd eat different foods. I'd go to different weddings. Um, so I guess that, you know, we lived next door to a German family. Um, my my parents were working for a German mission. mission um, so it's Christoffel Blinton mission. Um, and, you, you know, you it's that diversity of fabric you know people there were people who were who were white kenyans there were you know all sorts of different backgrounds in a melting pot of culture so i suppose that's that's the foundation and why i wanted to start there in terms of who i am um i um had every intention then of going on to university and studying languages um so at this stage, and Swahili was actually my first language alongside Chigogo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when you meet is... Naomi and you're like, right, yeah, what's this about? Yeah, I speak Swahili and Chigogo. 
I don't even know <laughs> don't, what to, to, to be call honest. Is. I don't. I don't anymore. It's a. Tribal, I was going to say yeah, you need to like language. you need to give us some. Um, yeah. <laughs> I saw she spoke French and German on yeah. LinkedIn, and now she's like, yeah, and Swahili. <laughs> I do really. Do, I really don't like people that can speak like fifteen different languages. You don't like people that can speak like, multi languages. You meet people and they're like, I can speak French, German, English, Italian, and then there's a little old me that can speak English. <laughs> like it's just American, Australian, <laughs> Irish, Canadian. <laughs> Canadian Scottish. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I um, I was going to study that, which feels a bit different because actually scientists, maths, that's the background of the family that I grew up in, lots of logic. Um, and um, I, but I actually got ill um, after a gap year. So I got um, a form of ME, a form of chronic fatigue. Um, so I ended up, at my worst point, I couldn't stand in the shower. Where were you during this gap year? I was in London. Right, okay. Um and I couldn't stand in the couldn't stand in the shower, hadn't got the energy to go upstairs. And um you know, I was 19 at the time. Um was supposed to be at Freshers Week and I ended up obviously putting off I say obviously well I couldn't go to university so I put it off for a year I delayed the place. Um by the time it came to the end of that year I'd been very lucky I'd been able to recover. It had taken time. Um, during my gap year, I'd worked in sales. I'd worked in admin. I'd I'd got some HR experience. I'd done lots of different things. Um, and at the end of that period, when I was um, trying to find part-time work that wasn't physical as a 19-year-old, i.e. part-time work was easy to come by in a bar or um, restaurant or whatever it happened to be, but actually something the the company where I had been doing some sales field sales um said well why don't you come into our office part-time and help us recruit people was that Oakleaf no no this is before before I ended up in this sort of world oh, okay. um and I loved seeing people come into the office and I thought I like this but I also like the sales side I liked what I used to do so I actively went out and funny enough my first job out of school my first gap year job had been found through a recruitment company so I went to that recruitment company, which was on the high street in Barnet, and I said, I want to work, I want to do what you do. Um, and that woman hired me as her, an apprentice. And, you know, I haven't really looked back. I've worked my way up from sitting in a high street recruitment agency to where I am today, which is recruiting some of the most senior HR professionals in the world, frankly. Um, and... Um, you know, it's been an interesting journey along the way. Um, I can remember being sort of university, you know, wanting to make sure that I didn't miss out for having not gone to university um, at one point. So you never went out, back then? You took the gap no, year, yeah. you ended up getting this job, you never actually went back into no, university? No. So right. I, I remember at one point I signed up to do Birkbeck because um, I wanted to study Um trying to fit that in with recruitment as it was in the early nautic, you know, eight, eight or six was the short day. Yeah. Um, it was impossible. Um, and so I, I ended up sort of thinking, well, I'll come back to it. I'm doing what I want to do. It's all about people and I'm getting an education through the university of life. Mm. Um, it is a bit of a chip on the shoulder sometimes. Do you think um, you'll ever go back and, and maybe do it? I'd love to. I'd be really interested in things like behavioural science and psychology and um, 
or even in that in in people culture and talent in the space that I that I recruit within um how on earth I fit that in with children I don't know but then last night I was sitting next to a CFO who had for the last year been juggling a big CFO role, two Ned roles, and a master's in carpets. <laughs> so, um, and, 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 and kids. So Just don't worry, she didn't speak six languages, so you might like <laughs> oh, <okay>. her. <laughs> well, so no, I didn't ask her how many languages she spoke. Yeah, she might have so, done, yeah. Oh, <laughs> the assumption there. Um, so, you know, it's possible. <laughs> but what was it that... Was it the the sales aspect or or was it a kind of a combination of things that made you want to go into that recruitment? Like, what was it that was like, you know what, I'm going to go in there and ask um, if I can people, be a recruiter. So people's journey and the purpose of making a real difference in people's lives. Um, so, you know, I can be quite influential with people and that sales side, that relationship side is absolutely something that I could have made a career in in different ways. Um, but the reason I've chosen to do it in the field that I do is because of the impact on people's lives. Um, and what you've grown up seeing from your parents going out and making a difference in purpose really is difficult really, areas. Really is something that has, you know, is, is a big part of what I've grown up with as a fabric of what you do. Um, you, you know, neither of my parents' careers or are jobs, they are missions, they're real vocational purposes that they exist to fulfill so there's no such thing as a working day that finishes when they leave the office it's very much part of who they are um, and that's how I understand work to be to an extent um, working in the space I have there is a bit more of an office dynamic there is a bit more structure to my days and you know fundamentally what I deal in um, and the team that work around me will always say I take what I do very seriously um, but actually, I'm always conscious that it's not eye surgery. Nobody's going to go blind. It's not heart surgery or brain surgery. So, <laughs> you know, I'm, I have a bit of a sort of grounding in reality. What I do is a created job. Um, the world could probably go on without me doing it. Um, but actually, the difference that I do make in lives, I can. there are a couple of people that I've been involved in throughout, you know, that sort of stand out for that as an example. So there's a lady who probably won't mind me mentioning, um, shouting her out. She works in my industry today. Um, and one of the reasons she went now works in recruiting HR professionals, um, she was a HR professional. And I met her and she was hating her role. She was so depressed and miserable that she was trying to pull out of going for an interview for me because she couldn't fit it in. She couldn't work out how she was going to get away from this boss and go for this interview. And so she thought, well, I just can't do it. And I managed to talk her around, listen to her and then give her the confidence. And she went on and got this brilliant job. And several years later, she did really well. And about five or six years later, she paid me the biggest compliment by saying, I, you know, you had such a big impact on me that actually I want to go and do what you do for other people. So there are times where, you know, we take people out of really toxic situations and we give them wings and change their direction in life. And there are things, your job, your house, you know, your family, these are core elements of what you do. And I really believe that what, you know, and then... On the flip side, so I've talked there a lot about people moving jobs, but actually for clients, you know, if you don't have that person in your team, quite often you're working harder, longer, 
your life is more difficult and putting the right people in around around individuals in around our clients you know sometimes that can mean they can go on to be far more successful yeah. and achieve more and sleep better and have more time and see their families more and things like that so uh, you know for me it has really a really strong sense of purpose and I think that's why I started with let me tell you a bit about my parents and where I come from is that you know there is a vocational drive in me that is around people mm. um, and people's lives but there's depth to you so a lot of people not a lot of people but some people you know, they talk about making a difference and I want to really make an impact. And I don't always believe it when when they talk about it. But with you, there's some real depth. It's a really unique experience, your life, going <laughs> to Africa, changing, you know, districts in Africa, coming back, going through that with the parents that you've had. So it's kind of instilled within you that you want to make that difference. So one thing that I'd I've never really I've never really felt that recruitment does is the impact that it can have on someone's life but it it does make a difference it really like, does when you think about it if you're in a toxic job and you change and you find it doesn't have to be the dream job but a job that works with your life makes you happy it changes your complete life mm. so I can understand that you know making the difference changing lives and that really That's meaning something to you. Naomi Barton changing HR <laughs> professional lives <laughs> <laughs> and actually, genuinely, you know, one of the reasons why I think I've ended up in the space I've ended up in is that also HR leaders have such a big impact on the experience of people, you know, other people at work mm. in their own organisation. So there's another layer to that, which is that I'm placing people who have real impact in how people's experience at work is. Um, and yeah, so that that's also part of the picture in terms of I suppose the specialism that I've developed and the world and community I inhabit which is that I spend my life really dealing most of my life some of my life is with chief executives chairmen, and investors absolutely but actually a lot of my life is working in and around the HR community um, or the people and culture community and talent community um, and though you know the the reality is that those roles have huge impacts in the ecosystem of people's lives in companies. So there is part of me that also gets a real sense of purpose and the individual and putting the individual in and knowing that they're going to have a really happy career off of this. Maybe they'll earn more money and be able to afford a better house and put their kids through, you know, whatever sister afford childcare, um, which let's be honest is a challenge. Um, and, you know, things like that. And then actually those people are also going to have a big impact on, the um you know all the people at work in that company and the performance of that company and how they can go on to so it, there are multiple layers to it and one of the, my biggest frustrations sometimes in my own world is it can be quite mercenary so when i look around quite often within the cons recruitment consulting world a lot of people talk about having come into it for money because you could earn good money you could uh, you know as a commission based in industry early on you know, there wasn't a high bar to entry. So lots of people could come in, lots of people could make money. And, you know, often when, you know, over the over the years that I've been in this type of work, people, managers, leaders have tried to motivate me with, well, you can make more money. And it's completely the wrong thing to motivate me with. For me, it's the purpose of what I do. So you can recruit more people, you could 
have more impact in terms of the people that, that, that you place. And I think that's the other reason why I've wanted to move more and more senior in terms of the work that I do within executive search is because of the, the impact that the individuals that I place have um, and the, you know, the purpose that drives me in those impactful individuals. So, um, and then I, it's also the depth of relationship and the quality of the work that I could do because I found it really frustrating when it was, or, or um, limiting when it was just a transaction because I wasn't interested in just a transaction. Yeah. Um, you wanted to build a relationship. and Yeah, yeah you need more. I think, I think that's a really good segue into maybe separating and going into a part two and the work that, that you do now. And, you know, if people want to come back for part two, we can focus about the topics that, that you care about and mm. the difference that you're making. Naomi, the, uh, the world traveler, the <laughs> multilingual difference maker in recruitment. Difference we could definitely have a part, part two. <laughs> Thank you very much, Naomi. Lovely to get to know you and we'll see you in part two.